Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 19 of Just Lab Podcast, the pound-for-pound pound number one tennis podcast in the game. Steven Duca, Alex Makataria, and joined by probably our most legit guest that we've <laughs> ever had, former ATP 167, and sort of the inspiration of uh, of just slap because his his uh, his tagline is flat and low from yeah, what I hear exactly the, the man the myth the legend Mister Guillermo Lasso how are you my friend I'm good I'm good thank you guys for inviting me it's an honor that you chose like um, one of my mottos so <laughs> very happy there you go. that's it man every since since day one I, I when I when I arrived in Singapore uh, you know Guillermo I think came like a year after I got there we started working together. Since day one, flat and low, millimeters over the net, yep. hit as hard as you can, always down the line, no cross court. Yep. Now he's founded his own academy, the Lasso Academy. That's the, I mean, it's like his slogan, you know, it's the, it's the motto. It's so, amazing. Sometimes I just like to talk a bit of, uh, of trash during practices just to like keep the stress away, keep the stress out. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I, I believe in it in a way, but yeah, it was, it was a good time. It was a good time to to have Alex around for, for a couple of years, actually. That's yeah. amazing. So let's let's get into a little bit more of, because we're going to talk about how you guys know each other and all that stuff, but let's get a little bit more into your background for the <laughs> that don't know who you are. <laughs> Tell them a little bit more <laughs> about about the legend. I think I was, I was, I was born in Spain. I, 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 I turned pro at 18 years old, and then I, I just played for like nine or 10 years on the tour, and I got to 167 in singles and in doubles as well. I got to 160 in doubles as well, and I, I just played for, for a long time all over the world. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a good experience to, to live like a pro for some time. But you, so, so you started in Bilbao, right? Like you went, you, so when did you start playing tennis? Like you, you started as a kid. Yeah, yeah, my family plays. Like my, my, I have two brothers and one sister, and they all play. Uh, actually, my sister and my brother, they, they, they both were uh, ATP and WTA ranked before, so they had a few points in the past. So when I started playing, I was kind of the younger one, so it was easier for me to, to because we had the experience from my, from my, from my siblings, right? So yeah, I started in Bilbao when I was five years old. I think I just joined the, you know, the tennis school in my club. You know, I'm a member of a club here, so I just joined that. And then that's how it all started. And I started competing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, I started playing nationally, first locally, then nationally. And then when I was like 17, 18, I started to play more internationally. And I just got into the tennis lifestyle. Yeah, slowly. You, because, so when you, because like, when did you decide you wanted to go pro? So, because I, I, if I remember correctly, it was like around 17 years old, you decided to actually move to Barcelona, right? Yeah, exactly. So for me, um, I mean, if you are from Barcelona, it kind of like you don't really make that decision because you are already there. So you just slowly progress into it. But when you are from like a tiny town, like where I'm from, like there's a moment where you have to make a call. Right. And for me, like I was like 17 and it was pretty late because all my friends that were from outside, like Barcelona or Madrid, they, they left at 14. But I, I don't know. I don't think I was prepared to leave that early. So I waited a bit longer. And then at 17, I was like, look, it's all or nothing now. Like I either stop playing completely or I go all in. And I just tried it for like six months, one year, and then it went okay. And then I just kept on going. And, and then that's, that's, that's how I ended up playing for, for a few years. Yeah. At 17, I went to Barcelona. And you played for Sanchez, right? Sanchez, because you, you, that's where you trained? 
Well, I didn't know where to train. Like uh, I knew that Barcelona was the place, but I didn't know where to go. And then I asked my brother and my brother had been like already in a few places. So then he was like, just go there and then, you know, they're going to train you well. They're going to train you all day. So you just need to, I was training here like, 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 a, like an amateur, right? I was training like two hours a day only, like maybe not almost every day. <laughs> so then my brother was like, just go there. They're going to grind you out like six hours a day and then let's see what happens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And and how how so how many years were you a professional tennis player? Okay, I think my first year, um, I mean, I played my first tournaments in when I was seventeen, but I didn't get points that year. So I don't know if accounting that year. I, I think the next year was the first one when I was eighteen. So I would say two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Okay, so ten years, ten years. Wow. Damn. 10 years I finished with the ranking. So I will I will consider that like one of the years, right? So I, the years that I ha had the rankings so was 10 years, yeah. Wow. And so let's let's talk a little bit about like your journey to like 160 to, to 167. Because uh, I mean, if you're on tour for 10 years, I mean, that is a that's a grind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a grind, you know? Um, so what I mean, what I, I know this is very broad, obviously, but what was that journey like? Well, um, I, did you? I'm, I'm uh, 33 years old, so for so for in 10, 10 years is like one third of my life, right? That I was yeah. that I was playing tennis professionally. So it's a, of course it's a very big part of of my life. And uh, I mean, it was it was like I, I didn't know what to expect when when you are younger and you start playing. You have no idea how the life is gonna be when you play, right? You you see it on TV, but you have no idea. You know, you kind of want to be there, but you don't really know. The, the inside how 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 the life is gonna be once you are doing that as a as a job so but yeah it was it was it was good of course there's things better than others that maybe you expect some things and then there's some reality checks uh, coming in <laughs> when you're like on your way to playing professionally but yeah in general it was a good experience man it was good it was a slowly progress and you know work and slowly seeing results and uh, ups and downs like crazy of course um, but in general, yeah, it was a, it was a nice process, man. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> what are, what are some of those reality checks that you encountered on the way? Like what are like some of the biggest things that where you felt like, oh, this is, this is something I did not expect. One of the things that I, I, I don't know, I think I, I kind of had this fairy tale idea of, of, of how, you know, a pro play playing tennis life is, you know, but when I started playing a bit better, and I started to, you know, play a bit better, bigger tournaments. I kind of thought like, oh, this is gonna be like, you know, a, a lot of people are gonna come talk to me. There's gonna be like, you know, agents like IMG, you know, they're gonna come talk to me and this and that. And then I'm just playing, and no one gives a no one gives a damn, right, about you, about your results. <laughs> like, no one cares, right? Like, so that's something that I mean, yeah, your couple, you know, your couple friends from your hometown, they're gonna message you, right? But no one really cares about the results unless you are much higher than what I thought. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that okay, if I start to play like some, you know, Grand Slams qualies or some ATPs and or I qualify for a main draw, whatever. But uh, no, you need to be much, much better than that to to just get all that like, kind of like uh, recognition that that you maybe think you're expecting thing or something like that i don't know how to, how to explain it did that did that <laughs> no one cares, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did that uh did that demotivate you like did, did you feel 
like when you kind of reached a certain level where you thought, okay, I, I, I was expect, I'm expecting some sort of recognition and let's say you didn't get it. Did, did that kind of affect your, your perception or like your motivation when it came to pursuing the career? It was not like, it was not like I was looking forward to that recognition, but I, I don't know why I just mm. thought it was going to be like that. Right. When I was younger, I'm like, I don't know anything about this, this, this life. Right. So I don't know what to expect. But when I saw that I that it was not like that, I just had to suck it in. I just realized that okay, this is it's uh, it's it's how it is, and you know there's no other way. You know, you, you either keep going or if you want to quit, you quit, right? No one's forcing you to do anything, so right. <laughs> up to you. You just gotta just suck right. it up and play. Right? And so what, you you talked about like highs and lows. What's the uh, what was your bet? Like if you if you know ten years on tour, what was like your best year? What was the year where you were like okay, shit, like it's happening, like. I'm starting to to really see results. I'm I'm making it. You know, players that you've beaten, like best results in tournaments, things like that. Just so we get like an idea. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think at first, like the first one was when I was like when I started to get my first points, and then I started to because I was not a very good junior. I was not good. I mean, I was okay, but I was not winning like the Spanish nationals or something like that. Mm. Maybe I was doing quarterfinals or you know I was okay, but I was not winning a lot when I was younger because I was not practicing a lot as well. So. When I was 18 and I started to get points, like quite a few, then I had some good results and I was like, kind of like, I, I, I got to a point where I could compare myself with some of the best in my age. So that was kind of motivating, like, okay, you know, under 18 years old, I am this number, you know? So even I was like, okay, that, that was a good moment to see that I was in the good, in the right direction. So that was one. And then, and then another one, I don't know, when I was like <clears throat> 21, um, I, I, I got to play the, the US Open for the first time. And my first time in New York, first time in the U.S. as well. So, I mean, wow. I was, and, and I was one of the last guys to get in. So I, I wasn't even there. I was in, I was in Spain here chilling. And then I got a call. It's like, Hey, you got in. And I was like, well, I'm playing like in, in 36 hours and I'm, I didn't touch a racket for five days. So I got a call and I'm, and I, one day later, I'm in Manhattan, just walking like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when, <laughs> first time there, first time in New York, first time there. And it was an amazing experience, and 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 I managed to win the first round as well. So I was like on top of the on the on the on top of the world at that moment. So that's a very nice memory that that's I amazing. have. Yeah. So that was that a very good moment. Insane. Yeah, so, because obviously, like Spain is known as is known to be one of the best, you know, I mean, sports countries in the world, but oh, specifically yeah. tennis. And I feel like what's really interesting about Spain is obviously you have major names like, you know, Nadal and Ferrer and, and players like that, but there are a ton of players who are, you know, top 200, top, uh, top 300, like that level where it's like, you're, you're at the top of the pro tour, but you're not like the, the main star. There's, I feel like there are a ton of players, especially like the, the past, you know, 10, 15 years. What was it like being, you know, cause I'm assuming you trained with these people and you traveled with these people um, and things like that. What was it like kind of competing against the people that you were training with? And was it, was it cutthroat? Was it uh, a collaborative kind of environment? What, what was that like navigate, navigating, you know, those types of people? It's, it's motivating because <clears throat> you always have someone better than you that is right next to you. So, you know, when I first started playing, I know I saw a guy 500 and I'm like, wow, this guy is like, he's on another level than me. And I need to, wow, it's, so, it's so good to have him here and train. And then, when you reach, when you when you pass that level, then there's another guy that is like 200, and he's like, oh, this guy's playing Wimbledon, and wow, this guy's so good. 
And then if you if you if you pass that step, then you're gonna have another guy that is like you know winning ATPs. And then if you pass that, there's always mm -hmm. someone else that's doing better, right? So so you you in Spain the kind of mentality that that not the kind of mentality the kind of like feeling that you get is that you are never good enough. So it doesn't matter if you are 150, 300, 80, 700. You know, you, and people make you feel that way. You know that you are not that great because <laughs> there's someone much better than you, obviously. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of players, and it's good that there's so much competition. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. You get, it's uh, you don't get you don't get any value from from anyone basically. So it toughens you up quite a bit. Yeah, and so because I mean, I'm I'm from New York, right? And growing up in New York, you know, everybody, really the U.S., you hear, you know, oh, like where are you train? Oh, I'm going to Spain this summer. Like, there's this like. There's this, there's this fascination, kind of an obsession when it comes to like tennis players, definitely in the U.S., but pretty much all over the world. Like we have a buddy of ours who's played on our college team, and he's, he, you know, when he was talking to us about, you know, trying to go pro, he, the first, we were like, all right, so what's your plan? He's like, well, I'm going to Spain, and then we'll figure it out. So that, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that gets talked about when it comes to the Spanish training and 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 the Spanish method to train tennis players. Um, could you go into a little bit more depth for the people that have heard about it but don't really know like what sets Spanish training apart from every from everybody else? I think I think it all started maybe like from the 80s and 90s we started to have a lot of success in, in, in Spain with tennis we had a lot of players that started to do very well and then people could see that you know those players they were not always the most like gifted ones you know so so you they were not like born with like a crazy like ability. But maybe with a lot of work and you know with the right ways of training they had amazing results so that kind of gives you like more options for a lot of people to identify yourself with with those players and be like wow you know like i think that they train really hard there they move really well and they're very tough to beat so i think that i can you know go there and maybe get something out from from the way they train and also you know we have a good weather we have clay courts we have hard courts we we have a lot of tournaments to play like you know uh, in New York, if you go to, if you play in LA, you have to take a flight for four hours. Like we don't have that kind of distance, right? So we have a lot of stuff that we can just play around close by, close to home, a lot of tournaments and it became like a hub. So, so, you know, it, it's just one thing after the other, like a domino effect. And then it becomes more of a, of a, you know, of a, of a thing. But I think this, it's just hard work. I think hard work and a lot of them, they focus a lot on like, on like legs, on the way you move and, and mm -hmm. not making a lot of mistakes. So I think that's why if you go to see like a tournament in Spain, you'll see a lot of players with not big weapons, but like very solid and, and, and tough, tough, tough to beat. So that's kind of like the way that you if, you, if you go to a junior tournament in Spain, you're going to see that. And if you go to a junior tournament in the US, you're going to see like, you know, guys serving 230 kilometers per hour, serving volley and stuff like that. If, if, if a young player does that here, they're going to tell him that he's crazy, you know? He's going to tell him, like, what are you doing, you know? Yeah. It's just another way of seeing tennis, I guess. Do you think that that's a positive? Because, like, if I think about your game, I mean, you got major weapons. Your forehand's a weapon. You have your serve's a weapon. I mean, it's not a, you know, John Isner. Uh, I mean, it might as well be, but, but it's not... Uh, you know, it's not a, it's not like a mat, it's not like, you know, a Pelka or something like that, but you got a massive serve and you also have um, massive forehand. What, what I think so, is that when you have, when you have that pool of players trying to play, of course, there's going to be some guys that have some weapons because there's so many people trying to play tennis in Spain. So, of mm -hmm. course, some guys are going to have more weapons than others, but, but I just think that maybe they emphasize 
touch on 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 some things and they don't cover the whole game i think like maybe in another countries like france or they maybe teach a bit more an all-around game and in spain is more of just like a more defensive way of of of, of playing and and not always being the one dictating and and that's kind of like the the mentality that that we are put in but you know, it's it's been changing. I think in the la- in the na- in the last ten years, if you see Alcaraz now, like you know, you can't even play with a guy. You know, in three balls, he's gonna always, he's winning the point already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I heard I heard if you slice a backhand on a on a Spanish on a Spanish court, they deport you back to uh, wherever you came from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, no, it's there are definitely changes. I feel like I feel like especially with, like you mentioned Alcaraz, but a lot of these like Spanish guys, like the younger guys. I mean, the 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 how much more aggressive they are compared to like maybe previous generations is a huge difference. But I feel like Alcaraz kind of reminds me of Nadal as well because Nadal is like grinder, but but also puts it away, you know. It's, so it's I feel like it's nice to see that it's it's almost as if their defensive game is still as strong because there's the foundation is there, but then they also have these weapons where they're finishing the points. So it's like how do you beat a guy like that because you can't you can't you can't beat him you know by being aggressive because he defends it and then he also beats you by being you know so it's like a it's a it's a lose lose yeah. for anybody that's why you, you know? retire if you see exactly. a spanish name in a draw you just retire <laughs> that's seven so i think alcaraz is i think alcaraz is, is more aggressive than rafa because like yeah. he just tries to 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 like dominate you right away i think rafa likes to first wait a little bit and then you know he tries one time mm-hmm. then wait a little bit then he tries another time I feel Alcaraz is like the point starts and he goes like pam 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 and he's just gonna try to, to you know keep the points very short. Mm. You know he tries to do that. Sometimes you, he can't, but I think Rafa likes to, you know, rally longer, mm. even though he's aggressive. But I think he, this guy, I think he's more aggressive. He, he's a beast, man. Yeah, no, he's an absolute monster. Can you can you talk about like, so. Obviously, like being on tour for 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 ten years, you've played some some big names that like are commonly recognized. Can you talk a little bit about like the times you played top top players and what that those experiences were like? Like who you played, what it was like, what was your mindset going into the match? How did like what did you take away from those matches? Things like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I w- I'm from the same year as, uh, for example, Roberto Bautista. Bautista is from my from mm-hmm. my same year, and then Albert Ramos as well, the lefty, the Spanish lefty. So. I, I grew up playing with them sometimes, but you know when you're kids, you have no idea like how good a certain player is gonna be. But later on, as a pro, I did play against like uh, Nishikori when he was like ten or twelve in the world uh, in in Barcelona, and that was a really good experience. I, I played against uh, Nicolas Almagro as well when he was like nine and ten in the world. Wow! Uh, so they were they were good experiences. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a bit surreal because. I, I was watching these guys. I kind of I'm the kind of guy that watches a lot of tennis, so I watch all the highlights of every single tournament. And then like suddenly I'm playing against Nishikori, right? And I'm like, I remember I, I thought his 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 forehand was better than his backhand. And I was talking to to a friend of mine in the locker room, uh, a player, and I was like, uh, his forehand is better, right? And he was like, no no no, his backhand is unreal. And I and I started the match playing everything to his backhand. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> He beat me. He beat me the first set six one in like ten minutes, like literally ten minutes. And then you know, I changed the the second set the, the the tactics a little bit. And I was playing more to his forehand and you know forehand cross against his forehand and and I had the better chance in the second set even though I lost six one six three. But then it was funny because later on when I was watching him highlights again and again, I just realized how wrong I was and how much better his backhand than than his forehand is. Like if you watch his highlights when he was on at his best. 
on his backhand side, he dominates every single player. Like when he was like three or four in the world, and with the forehand, he he sometimes he doubts. You know, he he doubts sometimes. He sometimes he just puts the ball in. But on the backhand mm-hmm. side, it was like mm-hmm. pam pam cross 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 line cross cross line cross line. <laughs> like, and I didn't I didn't uh, yeah. So that was uh, a funny a funny story when I played him. And then Almagro just it was another speed like. I I I'm not the slowest hitter, but I I I don't think I'm a slow hitter. But when I played him, I was like, I felt I was like 10 years old, you know. I was like, mm. <laughs> like the the power he had like on clay, and it was a heavy ball, and he could hit the winner from anywhere. Like it was. Uh, but again, he was 10 in the world, it was way a different level than when than where I was at. But but it was fun. It was fun playing those guys. Yeah. You also you also played Ferrer, right? I did, and I, and I played Ferrero as well, the coach of uh, of um, Alcaraz. Now he was number one in the world. Really, but it was that was not on a tournament. It was like it was like on an exhibition tournament. Then they made in my city, mm. so they, they they made an exhibition mm. tournament in my city. And then because I was the local guy, they you know they called me, and and that was also one of my nicest experiences because you know it was a kind of like a nice setup and you know playing against you know these guys that they were like Ferrero was number one in the world, and I'm like. I, I watched him win the French Open and then I was playing with him and it was for fun, you know, so that was not for fun. I mean, we played properly, but there was nothing, you know, we were not playing for anything. So, yeah, that was, that was, it was, it was a, it was a good experience, man. It was a good experience. I had a good memory. What was it like playing? What was it like playing them? Like, even though it was just exhibition, like, what did you? With Ferrero, I was very nervous. So I didn't really get to enjoy it that much. I was just slapping everything. Like, literally. Like, <laughs> flat and low, flat and low. I was like, I was like, my mind was, I was so anxious. I couldn't rally three balls. So I was just slapping everything. So we didn't really get into a rally. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but with, um, with Ferrero, with Ferrer, it was nice. It was nice. It was a good match with him. I, I, because he lets you play a little bit more. And I was a bit more experienced in the previous year. So we had some good rallies and, and it was, it was good, man. It was, it was, it was fun to, to, to play against someone that you've been watching all your life, basically. Right? Yeah. And, what what would you say like in terms because like let's say you're playing Nishikori for example what like the little like because obviously like the the level of tennis isn't that significant Mm -hmm. in terms of differences between like someone who's top 10 in the world or or is 10 in the world versus like someone who's let's say top 200 but what are like the little things that you notice where you're like wow this is like something that that Nishikori is doing that I don't see anywhere else that outside of the top 20 you know like were there anything that you kind of noticed that was like uh, you know stood out I mean, if you tell, if you say, if you, if you, if a guy is like 30 or 40 in the world, I think that maybe they, their game is not that different, but someone that is like 10, I think that they do have like bigger weapons than you in general. Right. So mm. I think that there's a, 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 a gap between a guy that's top 10 and a guy that's 50 in the world. So I did feel that they, they had more game than, than I had, but also like, for example, when I played Nishikori, I had been playing on a second court three days in a row. And then when I played him, I had not played in the center court that big for for a long time. So I was completely lost on the court. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I was not able to perform the way that maybe if we would play a practice set, I would have performed against him. So I think sometimes the experience also plays a role. You know, when you play a match like this, you know, they 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 are more experienced in those kind of situations, and 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 that's why they win most of these kind of matches. But I think that from 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 ten. To one, they are much better, and then maybe a guy that's 40, 50 in the world, there's not much difference with a guy like top 200, let's say. But... Did you feel lost because of the crowd and the side, like the stadium, or was it just the dim- like was it the fact that the court, like the the distance between the fence or like the ba- the back and the the baseline was bigger, like things like that? 
Yeah, 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 exactly. So I just, uh, the court was much bigger. So, I mean, of course, not the, the, the lines and the inside of the court, but I had 25 meters behind me. And suddenly I didn't realize, and I was, I was like 15 meters behind, and I'm not even in the fence yet, you know? So these kind of things that you, you, the distances are different, then seeing stands around you sometimes might annoy you if you're not used to playing with, with that kind of crowd all the time. And again, if, if it affects you for 10 minutes, you're already like 5-1 down, right? So yeah. against these guys, like you, you cannot have anything like that affect you at all if you want to give them a fight. So I think, yeah, I mean, obviously they are better players and then they are also more experienced. So if you put those things together, then it's harder to for a guy that is 200 to, to beat them when they play in a tournament. If they play a practice set, then probably you can beat them many times. But, but on, on competition, it's a, it's a bit different. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting because like, I feel like a, a big part of it is like how, and I'm just speaking on Spanish players in general, like a big part of it is like the way they play is might be a little bit different from like other, other, other countries. But I've noticed, and maybe this is, you know, a small sample size, but I've noticed like when it comes to fitness, like how fit they are, right? It's on another level. Do you think that's, you know, an emphasis placed by Spanish coaching or do you think it's a combination of that and just also just growing up playing on clay, slower surface, um, like, like, because I'm just trying to figure out, like, is it is it a combination of both, or is it just it's just those guys are just working in the gym like nonstop, way more compared to the other players? No, I think it's a combination of both, like you say. Like, if you play on clay, I mean, you know, you're gonna it's gonna be more physical. You know, the balls are very heavy. Uh, it's very hard to, to put the ball away. So, you know, you got to be fit to play for a couple hours if you want to win because you're not going to blow anyone off the court with those conditions, right? Unless you are 10 times better than your opponent. So if you're playing as the guy that's kind of in a similar level, you know that you're going to have to grind it out for, for a couple hours. So, and if you train always with those conditions, you kind of know that that's going to be something that sometimes is going to, you know, define who wins and who, lo and who, who loses. So, so people take care of this. You know, they train a lot of hours. They train with heavy conditions. They train with, you know, wind. They train with the worst conditions possible. So then they they are prepared. Basically, what they want to feel is that they never lose a match because of fitness. Mm. You know, just losing because you are just worse than your opponent. Not because, you know, you were not prepared. That's something that is kind of like emphasized quite quite a lot. Yeah. So they make you feel that that part is important. So you have to grind it out. <laughs> do you think that contributes a lot to the mental side of the sport? Like how, how much do you think that focus on fitness and being like ready to just go into battle helps the, the mentality? Of course, of course. I mean, they are both completely connected. You know, you cannot be like mentally strong if you don't have confidence in your body. Like if your body is failing you, there is no way you can be strong. Like, you know, how can, how are you going to believe in yourself if you know that, that you have gas for one and a half hours? There's no way, like, you know, that you're going to have to finish the match quick or otherwise you're going to lose. So if you know that you have, you know, gas in the tank for five hours, you don't care how long the rallies go. You don't care how much time you're out there. So you're, you are only focused about winning. You know that that kind of part is already set. So definitely it helps you a lot to, to believe in yourself. If you know that, you know, you don't get tired. Right? What, how do, how do coaches and players in Spain, cause like you're saying, if you're training six hours a day, you know, every, you know, six times a week and then you're doing fitness and then you're traveling. How do coaches and players maintain that? Like, where, how do they, how are, how are you able to sustain that for, for year on, like for year after year after year? Like what's, is there a, a kind of a practice or, or something that, you know, the team does specifically in order to kind of uh, make sure that the player is able to sustain that, those, those hours? 
No, nothing specifically, but I, I mean, maybe they train those amount of hours when they are growing up, you know, like 17, 16, 18, mm. 19, because once you're in the tour that, that, that into it, there's no way you can maintain that kind of, that mm. kind of practice, right? So you have tournaments coming up uh, all the time. So you cannot put that kind of work in all the time, but, but whenever they can, they, they do train hard. And then it's kind of like a feeling. It's kind of like a feeling that they put in you that, that, if you don't have the, the biggest like weapons, uh, you are kind of like in a disadvantage to your opponent. So they, they make you believe that your advantage is in your mind and in your fitness to win, mm. you know? So then when you are in a tight moment against someone, you know, from, I don't know, the Czech Republic who, who hits flatter and faster than you, <laughs> then you're gonna have to kind of believe in those things to give you the kind of the confidence you need to, to, to win, right? So it's kind of like, it's a mentality thing that is very hard to, to explain like it's something that it's put into you like slowly and you hear it and you hear it and that kind of makes you also believe a bit more in in in, in this in this aspect of, of the game yeah did you ever have like because obviously if you're on tour for 10 years when you were younger especially did you ever have a moment where you were like you know this i don't want to do this anymore like i, I want to you know do something else and how did you kind of approach that or navigate that that situation and what helped you overcome that? Um, I think that if you have that kind of thinking, it's probably better that you stop playing, you know, because mm. it's going to be very hard to come back from that, from those doubts. So I remember I had a moment when when I didn't, I started to get like, you know, college coaches sometimes messaging me and stuff like that if I wanted to go to college and when I was like 19. So I thought about it for a little bit, um, you know, but then I had one or two decent results and then I was like, okay, I'll just continue playing. So that was not really a moment. The only moment was three years ago when I just decided, you know, I'm done. I just started to feel that. I started to feel like, is this worth it? I'm tired of, you know, being treated like crap. You know, when I'm playing like something that is not that small to be treated that way. So I'm like, I think it's better that I stop, you know? <laughs> what What do you mean treated like crap? What, like, what, what did you encounter? Well, like for example, you 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 you're playing a qualifying of a you know hundred thousand dollar challenger somewhere, which is not a small tournament. Okay, maybe you're playing the qualifying, but you are playing the same tournament, right? And 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 maybe they make you play two matches in one day, you know, something like that. Maybe there's not even food ready in the club, or they I don't know, like yeah, there's no prize money almost or stuff like that. So you feel like you feel you're playing at a high level, and and you're not being valued in any way or even respected by the tournament officials as well like you know if, if you see that same official in the qualies of or whatever atp tournament it's gonna be much nicer to you but when you're playing the qualies of a challenger somewhere you know they're gonna tell you look today you have to play at 10 a.m and at 1 p.m and you try to tell him like man like we have enough time to finish this match tomorrow like why, why do i have to play two matches in one day and then he'll come with a shitty excuse and then you have to suck it up and play two matches in one day, and then maybe you lose because you mm -hmm. get you get injured, you know. So then you're like, what, 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 what is this? You know, I just yeah. it's not fair, you know. Yeah, I mean? No, absolutely. But, I mean, you you hear a lot of these stories, right? Because half the time when people decide to stop trying to play professional tennis, a lot of the decision comes down to and this is something we've talked about before mm -hmm. on the podcast. A lot of it comes down to not because I don't want to play anymore, not because. I'm not in love with the sport anymore, not because I'm tired, but a lot of the times it comes down to just, it's a financial decision, right? You have guys that have been grinding on the tour for a decade or whatever, five years, whatever. And they're like, listen, I'm really good at tennis, but like, I'm 
breaking even, maybe making a little bit of money, but like the opportunity cost, I could be doing something else, you know what I mean? And actually making a good living. So it's like, on one hand, it's like this dream that you've been working for your entire life. And then on the other hand, it's like, okay, now, you know, you have to think not emotionally, but you have to think like, like, you know, like a business, you know what I mean? Like, did you ever have thoughts, like, especially like in your younger years, when you were just starting, where it's like, damn, like, like, you know, I, I, I this is my dream. This is what I want to do. But like, I'm a handsome guy. You're, 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 you can go into modeling and make maybe, you know, <laughs> half a million dollars to a million dollars a year as a model. Right. So it's like, have you ever had those thoughts where it's like, maybe, you know, maybe the financial pressure is a little too hard. Definitely. I remember when I started playing at first, I, I was 17, 18, 17 when I started to playing my, my, you know, the first futures I was playing and stuff. And then you know that, you know, you have a long journey ahead of you. And, and I, I, I started to spend like, you know, coaches, traveling, strings, physio, and every day I was just my wallet. I was just spending money like crazy. And at that time, uh, you don't make anything, right? Because you are starting to play like futures and stuff. So the qualifying, so there's there's nothing coming in and there's a lot, you know, of expenses happening. So I, I, I do remember that time as a, as a very like shocking and eye-opening time. I'm like, wow, like this is very expensive. So I remember the first couple of months I was, I was, I was almost crying from how much money I was spending. And because I, I was asking my parents for more money, for more money, for more money. And I know that everything costs a lot and, and I didn't like it, but you know, I, I got to a point where I was like, I either forget about that for two or three years or, or I'm not going to be able to play at all. And that's what happens to a lot of people, right? I mean, they start playing and they feel that the mountain is so high and they just don't even want to start climbing it. So I, I, I thought, okay, I'll better forget about it for six months or one year or whatever, or what, two years, and then let's see what happens. And I think like I was able to do that. And when I kind of freed my mind a little bit, I could start to perform because otherwise, you know, there's no way you can play. If you're thinking about, you know, the, the $25 stringing job, you know, <laughs> there's no way you can play tennis, right? So, so yeah, it was right. a tough moment. But, but later on, once I then, you know, slowly you start to, once you get into maybe top 400, then you start to see that, okay, you know, I can start to break even and you're young still. I mean, when you're 20 years old, no one makes money anyway. So you're like, okay, yeah. slowly figuring it out. But, but yeah, it is, it is, it is a tough uh, situation when you are ranked, you know, uh, outside the top 200, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not easy, but you know, I, I like what they're doing now. They've been raising the price money of all those like qualifying slams first round of slams because of Djokovic. I mean, he's amazing what he's doing because before I remember the guys were telling me, you know, we go to these meetings with the players, right? The, 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 uh, there's like this, this ATP counselor. So they go to them and they say, look, the, the mm -hmm. first round price money is, is not good. And then the answer was always, you just need to win more matches, right? That's why you don't get anything. <laughs> you're losing, you're losing. But the guy is like, hey, but I'm 19 in the world, you know, I'm playing Wimbledon. It's like, yeah, but you lose in the first round. So you need to win more matches to make money. And now because of Novak, I think it's changed a lot to kind of value these guys. And, you know, now they make, you know, much more in comparison to the winners that, that you know, 10 years ago. So it's great. I think, I think if they continue like this, there's going to be more people that are like 200, 300 and they play maybe more more years you know not forced to stop you also you, i because i remember if i remember correctly you played club tennis as well right to to kind of ease the financial burden like you put you went to like what was that like you went to did you go to germany or where did you play that is life-saving and for every european tennis player that's like that's the, you're so happy when that comes because you know you get paid regardless 
And that's something that you never experience when you play tennis, right? You're like, fuck, if I don't win, I don't, I don't make anything. So, you know, you go there, they treat you like, like, like a rock star. They give you everything you need. You know, you have, you, they, they pay you regardless of your results. Maybe you have a bonus if you win, but, but you know that, you know, you go there and you're going to get paid and, and, and it's a very nice experience. I have, I have very good memories of all my club uh, matches that I played. I played in Germany for a few years. I was playing in, I, play, I played everywhere because that's how I basically managed to play everything. So I, I, I was playing in Germany, in Italy, in France, in Spain. I played in Luxembourg for one year, which was a very minor league as well. And I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was, it was really good. The only thing is that sometimes it was affecting a little bit your preparation for your tournaments. So in what way play. well because sometimes for example you're playing like you know maybe you have to play a sunday in germany okay club matches okay so you're playing in you're playing in frankfurt on sunday but then your next tournament is in finland okay mm. so then so then you're starting either monday or tuesday you play in finland and then sunday you're in germany so you have to find a flight at night maybe you have to do a stop a layover somewhere uh, ask the referee if he can put you on Tuesday and just hope that he does. Sometimes they don't. So sometimes you fly and you play straight away. So, mm. you know, your preparation suffer a little bit, but you know, that's part of it. Like you, 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 you just have to do it. Mm. I mean, this is, this is kind of like the thing that people don't realize, especially coming from like different sports that don't know much about tennis. It's like, dude, if you're like 300, like if you're the top 300 best soccer player in the world, you're making millions. You're, you're, you're set. You are, you're <laughs> set. <laughs> I remember, like, I went to to Philadelphia and and uh, just when I just uh, when I was not playing anymore, and 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 this guy was like, no, I was still I was still like 250 in the world or something like that, right? And I'm going like, and and and, and this guy was coaching there, and then he he wanted to find me a, a lesson. He wanted I, I wanted to coach a bit, and he wanted to find me someone to teach, and he goes to the guy, right, and he's like. Uh, okay, so there's 300 players in the NBA. This guy's 250 in the world. This guy's in the NBA. And I was like, <laughs> I was like <laughs> wait, this first time they made me feel like I was, I was, I was decent, right? Because I've always felt that, you know, I was not good enough, right? So it was such a, it was a very fun <laughs> feeling and experience to, to kind of like, like, you know, put it in a different perspective, right? <laughs> Is this the guy we both know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is crazy. This is wild. So this guy, I went to Philly and I just, I was there for two weeks and I tr just randomly trained with this guy mm -hmm. who like coaches on the UPenn courts, right? It was like, or it was the UPenn courts. He just, he just coaches on the UPenn courts. Later find out like three weeks later after I trained with him, the Guillermo knows him and like coached with him. That's crazy. And, I was, and, he, and we have, I mean, we have some. some and his world is very small. Like you, yeah. you everyone knows each other like 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 at this at this competitive like tennis like, world like it's very small like no matter where you go in the world there's always someone that knows someone that knows you and <laughs> yeah so you yeah you gotta you gotta make sure that you are in good terms with everyone and then you make friends and because it's very very important because you never know like who you're talking and maybe you talk trash to the person that you shouldn't and yeah, you know, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> better to just uh yeah, be careful. <laughs> so I, I have a question because we've been talking about all this like serious, uh, you know, informational stuff. <laughs> I want to know about what's life off the court on the pro tour. 
Because I know, I know you got some stories, and uh, I know our viewers <laughs> would love to hear some stories. I know there's a lot of stories you probably can't tell. I know there's a few stories that you might be able to tell. Um, but I want to know what what's life like, like because you know you're spending a lot of time with a bunch of the same people that you're seeing like from week to week, right? That are traveling as well. So it's like you almost have like this community of players, like all like trying to like chase this dream. What's life like off the court as a professional tennis player? Oof, that's a very good question, and and I think that a lot of a lot of times, like like the players, they feel that they don't have a life because because they feel that they, they are doing they are, they are, they they are never at home. So so then whenever you're home, you feel like you don't really know what to do, because because you know you're always outside, you're always traveling, and then when you come back, I mean yeah, you have the the circle from tennis, but it's very hard to maintain relationships with people that are not part of the sport. So, so it's very hard for you to feel that you have a social life while you play, even though some people try, you try to do it, but it's very hard also because the players like to put themselves in a different like bubble. So then they are not going to be willing to make friends and, you know, they're not, they're very like selfish people, like players. So they're not going to want to ever do something for, for others. Right. They're not going to be wanting to, you know, be interested in, in, in meeting friends and, and it's just a different uh, I don't know how to say it, but it is a bubble. Like tennis, when you are playing it, you it definitely is a different um, scenario as as when you are not playing. But these guys, what they do is normally they hang out together. So whenever they are in the same city, for example, in Barcelona, where I was at when I was playing, um, if some of my friends from the tour were in Barcelona, then you know we would be like, hey, you know, we've been like grinding it out in in South America for a month, and I lost four round, four first rounds. Like I need to go out, you know, like. <laughs> I need yeah. to go out. So you gotta come out with me today. You have no 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 option, right? Like you gotta do this for me. So so some players like to go out more than others. Like some players drink, some players don't drink at all. The ones that drink drink a lot. And the ones that don't yeah. <laughs> and the ones that don't drink don't drink ever. Like uh, some of them never drink. So so you have like kind of like very like drastic um, lifestyles because of the way tennis is, which one day you're very high, one day you're very low. I feel it's just everything is in bulk, you know. If you go out, you go out till seven a.m. and you 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 completely wasted, or or you don't yeah. go out in six months, you know. So, <laughs> so mm. it's very yeah, it's not a very stable like like lifestyle, I would say. And a lot of these guys they just want to blow some steam, so they just go on a weekend and if they are in Barcelona or whatever they are as a base, they'll they'll go nuts and people see them and then they're like, this guy is an athlete. What the hell is he doing, you know? He's like making cows here in this club every time he comes, but you know he does it maybe only one time in six months, you know. But the match sometimes yeah, okay. is not is not what what people would expect, but they don't really know what that guy is going through, right? I hear I hear Schwartzman is an absolute animal. Out uh, at night. I I hear yeah. Have you like I hear like it's funny like you hear like I feel like sometimes once in a while someone will like break through this like surface or facade that tennis puts mm. up and you hear a story about something. Well, Kyrgios is like a different story because yeah, Kyrgios kind of yeah. puts it on. But then you hear something like you'll hear like Schwartzman is an absolute animal and like goes out all the time where you hear like, so do you ever like... Like with people like, because yeah, they have certain like, you have a, you think that certain person is a certain way. Yes. And then when they tell you he's not that way, you're like, no way, yes. he did that way. He went to this place. I can't believe. <laughs> but do you ever like watch let's say a press conference or or whatever and you and you hear someone talk or that you know that you know and you're like that is total <laughs> you're like that is such 
Man, that is like I know what I know what you really get up to. How often does that happen? I mean, nowadays all the players like they cannot really say what they what they think anymore because everyone's gonna someone's gonna complain always. So I feel that mm. people are less free than what they were like maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Like 15 years ago or 20 years ago, you had Marcelo Marcelo Rios, who all the press hated, but he would tell the reporters that you suck. You know, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. you're an idiot. You know, like now, mm. like now, there's no one's gonna be wanting to do that like only curious is the only one that did it but you know it put him in a position where a lot of people hated him as well so uh, sometimes some players now they want to just they don't want to be like the headline of any newspaper so they'll always say what they have to say they're not going to say one word louder than the other one and it's become more boring i think i think that mm. a lot of the times when i s see these interviews i'm like i kind of almost know what he's going to say right so yeah. i i, I want to hear him what he really thinks but he's gonna tell that to his friends. He's not gonna tell that. He's not gonna tell it to a reporter, right? right. Well, that's why they gotta come on just slap podcast and exactly. say whatever the f they want. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> what's? I mean, do you think that? Like, what is the? Because I, I I agree with you. Like, I think that the sport has become substantially more boring, because I mean, tennis is already very like cookie cutter as it is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very you know very kind of. Uh, there's no going out and, you know, no trash talk. No, I mean, not much really goes on. Um, do you like, where do you feel like, okay, I'm watching as from a, the point of view of like a, a, a fan, where do you feel like players can kind of let loose a little bit or, or do certain things to make the sport more entertaining? Because I feel like it's really taken a slump. I think it's all connecting with the crowd, right? Like at the end, like at the end, I think you want people that, that put on a show. Tennis is a show. Mm. You go there, you pay a ticket, you go to see a show, and you don't want to see two boring guys just rattling 100 balls and not even opening their mouths. I think that's not interesting, right? I want to go there and see, like, either someone, like, serving, like, Isner or, you know, Kyrgios breaking 10 rackets and shouting at the fan, or, you know, I want to see Monfils doing a crazy jump and 360 overhead. Like, I want to see that. I would pay a ticket to, to see that. But if mm -hmm. I'm going to see, you know, some people that don't have that kind of personality, I, I wouldn't pay. So so I think that players need to also understand this, that, you know, if they want to have a bigger following, they need to do something for the people that are sitting there watching, right? Because you want to have fun. You go to see tennis and what do you want? Yeah, you want to see good tennis, but you want to have a good time. And I right. think that sometimes, like Curious, for example, has gotten so much like hate from people and I love him because he he makes tennis bigger. And since I love tennis, I just want tennis to grow. And I think that, okay, sometimes he's not the biggest, maybe, okay, if he breaks 10 rackets, that's not like an example, but I like that he's real, you know, that he's, yeah. he's just showing you what he's feeling, you know? Uh, so I, 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 I like to see more of the player's emotions and, and get to know them a bit more, like, you know, cause sometimes they put this barrier in front of them. You don't even know the guy, he's played for 20 years. You don't know anything about them, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And also, I mean, the sport, you, you, you just think about like how much more the sport could grow if, you know, a bunch of these fans that don't, you know, maybe weren't the biggest tennis fans, but if they like this show aspect and they like this player that, oh, I like this guy because he, he, you know, like he gets booed and he doesn't care and he says whatever he wants like that. I feel like that's only good for the sport. Yeah. Like, look, curious, curious, whatever he goes now, doesn't matter his ranking. He's gonna have a full crowd. Yeah. Like, like he he's gonna have a full crowd. He hasn't played for one year. I don't even know what his ranking is like. 50, 60, 80. He doesn't care what his ranking is like. He's gonna show up there. He's gonna have more fun than anyone. And his in his in his court is full. 
if another guy with his situation, like 13 in the world, I think he was, drops to 90 in the world, no one even knows about the guy anymore. He's gonna play on court 37. No one's gonna watch him. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. So, you know, this guy is selling tickets while he's not the best in the world. You know, and and that's something that, you know, how can you not like that, right? Well, and he's always going to get a wild card. If his ranking drops and he can't get into get into a tournament, they're going to give him a wild card. Dude, they're going to give him a, they're going to give him an appearance fee. Yeah, they're like, we'll pay you a million dollars yeah. just show up. It doesn't matter if yeah. you lose first round. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. Let's just say you're a tournament director and you have that kind of like purchasing power to do that. Who are you going to bring? Are you going to bring you know Kyrgios or are you going to bring you know some other guy that no one cares about? Like, yeah. I would rather have Kyrgios there first of all because I know. That he can beat the best players if he yes. wants to, yes. <laughs> if he yeah. feels like it, and then even if he doesn't, his crowd, he, his supporting is gonna be there. So I think that that we need more people like him, even though sometimes he makes mistakes, like everyone. But I think it's good that we get that kind of players. Like I, I remember when I was growing up and Marcelo Rios was number one in the world, and he was the first one that was kind of. I mean, McEnroe as well, right? Yeah. But everyone has a good memory of McEnroe after the years. Maybe at that moment, everyone was like, this guy's an idiot. But, you know, 30 years later, John McEnroe is known everywhere, you know, everywhere you go. Guillermo, maybe maybe it's time to uh, lace up the boots and uh, give it another whack and maybe uh, <laughs> maybe say some shit on some press conferences and maybe you could be the next uh, Marcelo Rios. And I'm done. I'm happy in Singapore, coaching like 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 legends like Alex Makatsaria. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this yeah, is a, wait, wait, I but he had his he had his uh, claim to fame. This guy is a world record holder. True, actually, you yeah. hold, he holds yeah. the record. What's for the, the record? The longest you ever tiebreak. Longest ever tiebreak. I, I I won the longest tiebreak at the Challenger Tour. Wow. Yeah. What actually, was the score? There was a longer. Yeah, yeah, twenty-two twenty. <laughs> so, at the at there was one longer one at the futures level. Uh, which was like, I don't know, 35, 33, some crazy Jeez. number. Um, but yeah, I mean, I played that tiebreak in Dallas three years ago. And then when I went the, the next day, I show up to the club. And then when they told me, I, I was like, I, I was like, I thought they were joking. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know for like one day, you know, and then they told me, they came to me and they took a, you know, we gonna, they did like a, an article for like the website of the ATP. And then after I started checking what were the longest ones ever. And for example, at the at, at ATP level, that was also a 22-20 one time, but it has never happened before. It's crazy, right? Like yeah. for 50 years, I don't know how many years the ATP has, but for since 69, I think that the open era started. There, there hasn't been a tie break more than 22-20. That is wild. That's so that sick. That is absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, it was a good, uh, even though I lost the match though, <laughs> but I won the tie break. So That's I think I, the, the, the tie break is all that matters, man. Yeah, I don't care about losing the match. You know, yeah. I lost the money, I lost the points, but I got the tiebreak. You know, there you go. Are you kidding? A hundred percent. If I if I had if if I was in your place and I got that record, I wouldn't even play the next set. I just walk off the court. I mean, what else do you have to prove? I mean, we all play for the hot shot, right? So you wanna have the you know that's what you play for. You play for yeah. the. I would rather have the tweener uh, down the line uh, winner than winning the match. Actually, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man. But let's uh, so let's talk about your trends. So you you played on tour and then you transitioned into coaching, specifically coaching in Singapore, which is a huge move. Like that's you know you're going from Europe and, and traveling all the all over the world to going to Asia to then falling in love with the place. I mean, you still live there now. 
Um, and I, I mean, you, you made a mark, you know, you started coaching <laughs> at, at, at Bita at, uh, you know, slapping, <laughs> coaching, you know, you know, at, at Sita. And then you, now you're, you know, you've opened up your own Academy and now you're doing the Alasso Academy. So let's talk, talk, tell me about, you know, let's talk about your transitioning into coaching and, and what that move was like. Moving to Singapore was like day and night because also like the standard of tennis in Singapore is very low because tennis is not like sports in Singapore and it's not something that is big. So there's no funding, there's no investments, there's nothing. So it was new to me to just train. I mean, I had the chance to train like big slappers like you, but I mean, a lot of times mm -hmm. I was just playing with like, you know, amateurs, you know, a lot of times or kids that, you know, they come after school and then just want to slap a few balls around. They don't even care about what you're saying. You know, I just sometimes realize that I try to coach someone. He doesn't care what I'm saying. So then like, okay, so then, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna coach a different way today. You know, <laughs> I think that, that you have to adjust also to the player that you have. And, and that's something that as a coach, you need to, you need to do. Like if you have someone that wants to train, you will train. If you want someone that wants to train 10 minutes and sit down 10 minutes. Okay. I will try to push him to train hard, but at the end, you know, I cannot, you know, decide for him if he doesn't want to do it, then I have to. Not everyone comes for the same goal, you know. Maybe someone wants to work hard. Maybe someone wants to just work. So mm. you can try to push them wherever you want to. But I'm not talking about professional players. If you are a pro, then mm. of course you have to be stricter. But with you know, with someone that is like 40 years old and has a banking job and wants to play for an hour, you know, he wants to have a good time with you. You know, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. want he doesn't want you to kill him and not even like speak or not make a joke. Like it was a different style of coaching that I need. I didn't even remember this this side of tennis, right? Which is actually mm. the biggest in the world because professional tennis is very small, right? Mm. There's a lot of like amateur tennis happening everywhere. Right. Well, I also feel like Singapore is very interesting though because there's a lot of money in Singapore. Mm. Like Singapore, like you'll have like a kid um, who, you know, is not very good at tennis and his parents or her parents, you know, want them to be like the best in the world. But this kid doesn't give a about the sport yeah and you know shows up and the parents are spending like can you can you talk about like maybe don't drop names or whatever I, I i don't know what you're comfortable with but like what are like some of the worst like you know in terms of what you've seen like the expectation versus like what they put in Man, i mean it's happened it's happened a lot of times that because like you say like like you know parents can afford to, 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 to get coaching over there and, and sometimes they do want their kids you know to do very well but the kid doesn't want you know, so you can see that sometimes like the way you speak with the kid is different if the father is there or if the father <laughs> is not there. And kind of the kid is happy that you do it that way because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want you to let him yeah. down, you know? So it's like, I know what you're doing and okay, I'm not, I'm telling to the father, I'm not lying to the father. I'm telling him what, what, you know, I, if he's not working, I'm going to tell him, but I'm going to also put him in a way where I'm not trashing him, yeah. right? So, so it's funny because sometimes like, it's kind of like a different side if you are alone with the player or alone with the with the player and the family there. Um, but yeah, there's been there's been cases. I mean, there's been a lot of cases like that. I mean, I've I've had people like paying and not showing up, and and a lot of times like you know they just they just book you for some time and then they don't even care. You know, they just gonna they're gonna be like, yeah, I had something else to do. You know, 
That's crazy. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, Alex Alex has told me a story. He was like one time and he was like, yeah, Guillermo, I don't really want to train today. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's happened before. I, where I would be yeah, like, because I, I told him like one day he came, right? And so there were so many times that he was coming and he's like, what the hell am I doing? I don't even want to go to college. What am I doing this for? I just want to, you know, get huge in the gym and then learn how to do more tight. And I'm like, and I'm like... <laughs> Just start taking. I remember we were like, let's just start taking steroids. Let's just get massive. Eat three hours a day. Fuck this sport. Steroids yeah. 10, 10 hours a day. Gym 10 hours a day. There you go. But I remember, uh, I, no, I, you, I mean, you put up coming, a lot of school, right? He was coming from school and he was like, you know, what am I doing this for? You know, and I understood him because no one else there was doing it. So it was only me and him, you know, just slapping balls next yeah. to like four year old kids. So people were like, what the hell are these guys doing? You know, like, what? <laughs> What are they preparing for? Like, there's no one else doing this here. So I kind of was, because I was in a similar situation when I was in my town when I was like 15. So I was trying to tell him like, you know, just hang on that once you go to the US, I think you're going to love it and you're going to be part of a great school and a great team and, you know, pe more people like you. But, you know, there were some times where he would come fried or whatever. And it's like, you know what? Yesterday I did, you know, 25 sets of squats. I can't move my legs. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, okay, man, how about we play for half an hour and then we go to Chili's and have a burger, right? There yeah. you go. Literally. And then, literally. That's amazing. And no. then we go and then we send the picture to, co to the coach on the other court, you know? The coach that was on the next court, we told him, hey, we're going to Chili's, see you, bro. <laughs> and the guy is there, the guy is there like feeding balls at 50 degrees and then we're in Chili's, like having a burger. <laughs> bro, but the worst so part funny. is, is that like you'd look over to the other court and this like, you'd see like one of the coaches feeding balls and the the he's not even looking at the player he's just feeding balls at this player and this like i remember specifically there was one time where the girl had like the worst technique i've ever seen in my life hitting balls over the fence every single time and this guy's just looking at us like just talking to us feeding like, balls. Hey guys, yeah exactly <laughs> didn't give a he's part of, he was part of the yeah. conversation the lesson was going on but he was part of the conversation right it's it's, it, it's just and so when you see that when you're playing tennis and and like you said you've done 25 you know sets of squats and yeah. you're you can't move and you're exhausted because the heat and you just came from school and you see this coach freaking <laughs> feeding <laughs> balls <laughs> not <laughs> giving <laughs> a single <laughs> you know you're just like what is this no to be honest it made more sense to go it made more sense yeah. to go to chile that day that's why we went i think we made the right call like like I mean, you yeah. got to know when to do it and yeah, when not no, to do absolutely. it. <laughs> no, but this is this is interesting because it's like, it, it, it's so true. Like, I mean, I I remember seeing like the, the, the players that actually have the funds. It's just, it's crazy how it works like this. The players that actually have the funds or come from like rich parents that support them. And then you, you have 16 coaches and you go do this, you do this. And they, they, they sign up for six tournaments in one weekend and then they figure out which one they do. And then they, they don't care about the other five. Like, mm. These guys... It's so funny how they never want it as bad as like the guy who's on scholarship and and he's like fighting for his spot at the academy because he knows that if he doesn't keep his scholarship, he's out. You know what I mean? Like course, the yeah. desire level and the work ethic that you see is just huge. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, absolutely. that's something that's – you're so right. Like it's very rare to see someone that has everything and that that they are hungry enough to do it yeah and then you got like the guys with like atp points that are grinding out that are like reusing their grip and, like yeah, flipping it over and like using the other side of the grip like it's just it's just crazy man no but listen like you you have it's you've gotten to see both right you've gotten to see like professional players that are like like top in the world and the best and then you got to see you know 
uh, them from from an aspect as a player and as a coach. So I guess like my question to you is because you've been around so many like these champions, what are some of the common personality traits that you see in the guys that actually make it and the guys that are actually good that you've noticed? And now how are you implementing that as a coach? That's a good question, man. I mean, I think that <clears throat> the number one probably is the self-belief they have. Like, like these guys, everyone has doubts uh, about your about about yourself or about your game. But I feel like the guys that really do very well, they always have this kind of belief that they are the best and they're gonna make it and they they are gonna somehow find a way. And I think the belief they have is 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 really like what 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 makes a difference because you know a lot of players sometimes they they they, they are not sure. Or they, they, you know, they have doubts, and and everyone has doubts. But I feel that the self confidence they have is something that that really makes makes a difference. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest one I would say. And then also they have a personality where they they always like to learn new things and listen. So sometimes when you are not when you are when you are good, you might you might start to get cocky and feel like I don't want to listen to you. Why am I gonna listen to you? I'm a better player than you were already. Like. You know, you gotta have an open mind to always respect your coaches and respect your team. And sometimes I feel that not every player can do that. You know, some mm. some of them have a very big ego. They don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be told you have to change your technique or you have to change this. So if you have the mindset of, okay, I still need to improve. I still need to change this. And if my coach tells me this, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna shut him up. So I think they do have this kind of mentality as well that they don't think they know everything. And, and they are always wanting to learn new things and, and, and also their self-confidence. I think those two things are the main things. They're, especially those are the two I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, but what do you, um, but in Singapore, because so, now you're coaching in Singapore, it's very, I feel like, you know, the self-belief aspect as well, specifically, is very difficult to kind of implement because of the lack of competition. Like, how do you believe in yourself if you're not even, you know, if you're not, if you have nothing to gauge how good you are? Yeah, like, there's no, there's no way to gauge how good you are because you're playing, you're playing nobodies. I'm telling you, I, I, I've lost the, after being in Singapore for a few years now, I have lost the, I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. sure who is good and who is bad anymore. Because, because the standard is like, sometimes I think like, wow, this guy is playing amazing. I think, you know, if, I think he has a chance. I think he's doing well. I'm not seeing the whole players, right? I'm only stuck in a tiny island, so I'm only seeing what's there. And then I see a guy doing well, and I'm like, wow, I think I think this guy has potential. I think if he goes to this place, I think he's going to do results. He goes to play, you know, qualifying of an under-16, Spain loses <laughs> first round, 6-0, 6-0 in 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I think my guessing yeah. is good. I think, I think I'm doing good. <laughs> Man, it's just, it's tough. Like you say, you are in the wrong place. Like, like if, I mean, if you want to be a, good at the sport you cannot right. be in a place where there's no one else doing it like just you're not in the right place like it's very hard to progress like that right like, no absolutely what's your what's your goal with, with so because you so you opened up your academy um what a couple years ago right a few a few years ago yeah two, two years ago yeah so basically i was i was working for an academy there and then and then after after a after good a academy years, man it was it was it was great at the end man <laughs> Great, great, great. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the philosophy, the work ethic, the dedication, you know? <laughs> slapping balls over the fence, everyone's late, no warm ups. Like, no warm ups. Like, guy, coach, coach ordering pizzas to the court, guy with four pizzas like this crossing four courts. 
Like if there is a tiny shade on one corner, then the whole drill, the whole lesson is on that corner, hand feeding. Of course, there's a shade. <laughs> the owner, the whoever, like, didn't they not show up for like the last two years? Like it's just like it just literally. I'm pretty sure no one. It was just like you and a couple other coaches. The people who actually opened the academy didn't show up for the last like eight months. They have other things to do, man. <laughs> so, so that's why at some point I was like, okay, I think I can. I want to move on, and then I I, I try to. To get out and, and start something by myself and then uh, you know i was able to do that and 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 yeah happy i mean i, I just trying to grow and, and 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 trying to manage more more of like a, more, more clubs and more courts in singapore that's the only way that i can grow i mean now i'm involved with a, it's a marina club that they have only two tennis courts but but they're quite like valuable courts at a very good location so i'm 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 have my have my base there so i just basically run the programs for that club um mm. and and then yeah that's that's the goal there's 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 we are a team of four one one local coach one local coach myself and then two other coaches one from south africa and one from the uk and awesome, and, and and yeah we just we just uh we just wanting to to provide something better than 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 what you can find in singapore that's basically the goal like raising the standard there's not many people in ten in singapore that 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 can provide this like we can teach beginners. We can teach someone that wants to go to play college in the U.S. We can teach someone that play that wants to play pro. We can give this kind of feedback. So, so that's the goal. But it's very hard in Singapore to grow because it's very, it's very. They don't let you like. It's 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 very hard to bring coaches in. The government is very tight with who comes in, and and it's it's difficult. But but I'm happy, man. I like the place. You know, I like Singapore, man. It's amazing that you have a team of three. Like you have three coaches now under. Because I remember when. When I came to see you last, you were, you know, just by yourself grinding on the at your at your apartment's courts, and now you have actual. That's incredible. Yeah, so I I, I started I started uh well when you when I met, when you came when was that again? Oh, uh, must have been it was January two years ago. So, yeah, soft, I think my sophomore junior year. I had just started then, so I started in January twenty twenty by myself. Yeah, so I I so, literally that's so, when I showed up. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was just trying to figure things out. So when things started, of course, it's a bit harder. So I was trying to figure out which course to use. So I was just coaching all over the place, and then I was lucky to, to, to get that that uh, that place at, at at the marina the marina club where I can have a base. And then when because of that, then then I was able to hire people to run the club with me, right? Mm. So I kind of showed to the government, I'm like, look, I'm, 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 I'm running this place and I have no one, I'm only myself. So so that's how I was able later to, to bring some other coach in to do this project together because otherwise by myself, I can only do so much, right? So, mm. so slowly starting, yeah, it's been it's been going well, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, it's, it's a pain to, to do certain things and you gotta do like the small things, you know, like admin job as well. I mean, when you do by yourself, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, other things involved besides just the the, the coaching side, but but it, I, I'm happy. I've, I feel I've been growing outside the court, so I'm happy about that, man. Now the only thing I need to do is play you one set, <laughs> give you five, give you five zero up forty lap, play for ten thousand dollars. There you go. <laughs> that's that's amazing, man. No, that that is that's awesome. Um, you're a businessman now. You're you're no man. Nothing like that. But man, I, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been going fine. I'm happy. I like, I, I like coaching. I enjoy, I enjoy tennis. I love tennis. Mm. So, I mean, I, 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 I enjoy actually more the court than the off court. Mm. Like I like 
I like the game, right? I like I like the sport itself, and I don't like all the other things that surround it. Sometimes, you know. Um, so I, I I'm happy. I'm happy there. I'm well, happy. that's that's one of the things that I respected most about you as a coach is, like, who doesn't matter who it is. It could be someone who's good at tennis. It could be someone who's terrible. There's an intensity there that you can that is that is there all the time, and you know it's there because of the love for the sport because mm -hmm. you get excited. Because you could have someone who just started playing tennis and you're like, and you're like, you know, you're teaching them how to hit a forehand and then you're like, okay, now we're going to do cross court and then you're going to build this like, and then you're going to build this pattern and you're going to go cross, cross, cross line and then you're going to slap it, you know, there's such an intensity there that, that inspires. And so I think, you know, inspires people to play. So I think it's like that. And that's exactly what Singapore needs. It yeah. needs, it needs someone who has done it. Who is you know has has been one of the best in the world? I mean, top, top 167, 167 in the world is you know like you said you're you're, you're in, in the, the NBA. NBA you're in the NBA so <laughs> so but that alongside with a passion it's like there's no oh, passion there so the fact that the fact that you're able to bring that passion because of your love for the sport is incredible and you have guys now from different parts of the world too so it's like you guys are like this multicultural tennis hub exactly in Singapore that actually knows what they're talking about. So if there's any people watching from Singapore and you want a tennis coach, this is your guy. He'll make you a professional tennis player. <laughs> or, you know, if you want to go to Chili's and have a, have a burger, then he'll also do sometimes, that Sometimes, sometimes. Everything, man. Sometimes. Everything. <laughs> you want a bottle service, the club can also contact me. You know, he knows, he knows, this guy knows every bouncer in Singapore. This guy, yeah, there's, a, there's a line of, of, five, of 500 people. He crosses the line. What's up, bro? Walks in. That's it. Yeah. Right away. Right to the grind. It's me and seven more people today. Let us yeah. in. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm yeah. top 200 ATV. Come on, bro. Come on, let me in. And I have a funny story in New York. First time I went there, right? Um, there, there's the... Um, I, 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 when I, once I lost me and the other Spanish guys who wanted to go out. And then one guy said, bring your batch with you. Like your, your tournament batch mm -hmm. with you. Bring it with you. And I'm like... What is this guy talking about? Like, I've been wearing it in the club the whole day. I just want to go out. I'm not going to wear this thing, right? And he's like, no, just bring it with you. Just bring it. And then we go to a, we go to a, we go to a club, right? And we can barely, I mean, we can speak English, but we're not, we, it's not our first language, right? So we go there and I don't know the bouncer thing that we are just some pendejos or something. And he's like, these guys don't get in, you know? He's like, and then he tells us we can't go in. And then we all pull our badge, right? And then we show it to the guy. Like, oh, we are here playing the US Open tennis. And then the bouncer looks to the manager and then the manager goes, yeah, mm, yes, go. I love <laughs> there it. There we go. <laughs> and then we went in. It was hilarious. Uh, That's the only time that, that it worked, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, I have a, I, I, I remember that like, like, like it was yesterday because it was very fun. That's that sick. is awesome. That's actually a great story. Um, but man, in Singapore, I, I'm very hyper. I'm a, I'm, I'm a very hyper person. I'm very like, I, I, I do everything fast kind of. So, so, I feel that that for coaching helps because people like to see you involved. Like if you see a coach, you know, like he's pissed and he doesn't even want to be there. You know, no one likes that. So I think that helps me for coaching. And then I I enjoy it more than I thought I would enjoy coaching people that don't want to play seriously. You know, I thought, I thought I thought that I, because it's a side of the sport that I didn't know. It was all super serious, all for goals, all for results, you know, parents on you like crazy. And I, I, I find this side less stressful. I find it is more like I want to play, but I want to have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to train like, like Rafa, you know, I want to train like, you know, 
I'm I'm the reserve team in my school team in Singapore. You know, I mean, I, like give me a break. I want to play, but but you know what I mean, right? Like like, and I I I like I like that as well because people are also I feel more um, how the how how you call it more thankful. Mm-hmm. I feel like professional tennis is there's no there's no people are not like thankful of anything, right? Mm-hmm. If you are a coach, you can get fired the next day. No one's gonna thank you for anything you did. Um, you know, parents are gonna stress you out, and I feel at this level, people are sometimes more welcoming. You know, they're like, "Oh, thank you for what you're doing," or sometimes even, man, I had all the all my my lessons bring me food because they saw that I was on the court for ten hours, mm-hmm. and you know, they bring me sandwiches, they bring me this, and I'm like, "Wow, like this is amazing, right?" Like you never get that when you're playing. Like it's the jungle when you play like pro pro pro, pro tennis, right? Like it's another like world completely. So I, I like that. I like that. Which is honestly uh, props to you because I mean I've heard like a lot of the coaches that like especially when they were like like you like around that like super hyper competitive like pro environment and to come back and then like coach people that aren't serious like a lot of people like hate it like a lot of people can't do it like they're like and then what you happen then you start to see like a difference in the lessons with the people that actually care and want to get better and the people that are just there for fun the difference in like from the coach like the difference yeah. of the energy that yeah. they provide like the even the instruction they provide i feel like as soon as it, like some of these coaches as soon as they realize like oh like this guy's just playing for fun they almost take take that as like a green light like ah, i can just show up whatever yeah. but like everything from heard from alex is like the exact opposite no matter who you who you're coaching they could try to be pro or they could just be there for fun the output and the energy and 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 the instruction they provide is is always you know the highest effort you know and that's that's i think that that you need to have a love for the sport. If you don't have a love for the sport, there's no way you can there's do no that. I think at least. But you know, I feel a lot of times like like the coaches want that to kind of put themselves in a in a in a high situation. Like you know, yeah. I am coaching this guy, so now I'm I'm a bit taller now. You know, and, and yeah. you know, I had to adjust to the new situation because it was not easy at first. Because I I went from you know playing some decent tournaments to suddenly coach like you know someone that cannot even hit the ball. So at first it was a bit of a shock, but once I changed the, my mindset and I started to love it because I'm like, okay, this this guy is coming here because he wants me to teach him something. And I love tennis and I love to teach. So then I'm like, this is great for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. you, you are giving me your 100%, which is all I'm asking for. And I love what I'm doing. So we're going to have a good time and you're going to hopefully learn something. Sometimes, you know, if you have a good player, many times, you know, they give you attitude, they shut you off. You know, they tank practices. Uh, I think that it's less rewarding. And a lot of times it's just that co- those coaches have a big ambition and a big ego. I don't want to be a top coach of a top player. Of, of course, if it happens, it will be amazing. But it, my goal is not to be the best coach in the world. You know, I just want to like enjoy my time. That's my number one. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be suffering with a guy that is top 50. If maybe he treats me like shit, I don't care if I'm going to Wimbledon. I would rather be in a, an under 16 tournament in Singapore with, you know, someone that wants to have fun and goes to Chile's after, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, for me, for me, but everyone's different. Everyone's different. Like, no, I mean, if that's, if that's what you enjoy, that's like, that's, that's what's, that's what's important at the end of the day. No, I would enjoy I enjoy like great players as well. You know, I've been coaching some some good players too, but but that always mm. involves traveling as well, and 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 maybe a bit more stress and responsibility. So I I like that, but but yeah. I like both. I don't of course if I'm coaching someone that's great and I see good tennis, I'm like wow, this is like what I like about what I like about uh, high performance tennis is that it goes more into mm. the psychology. Mm-hmm. 
part of it. Because if you suck at tennis, you need to learn how to hit the forehand. There's no psychology there. You know, just learn the swing and hit it. But once you know how to play and you have to go on like, okay, what pattern do I use? How do I play against this guy? You know, how high over the net I'm playing? When do I attack? All these kind of things. Then there's more psychology involved with each is a bit mm. deeper. So I like that side of pro tennis, but, but you know, there's so many other things that, that are not as good as, as, or as nice yeah. as they seem. Right? Yeah. Cause you're, cause one of your, I remember like when we were working together, your like the what's important to you i feel like was patterns and strategy and actually like cuz that's what you know that's like that's i feel like that's where your strength is as well like i feel like when it cuz you've played at the highest level so you know okay these things work these are what you know these are what for this game style you need to be doing this for this game style you need to be doing that and it's like i i think that because you've had so much exposure that's like one of um if there's almost that like that advantage that you have over other coaches especially in singapore cuz you know very few coaches i feel like are at that level yeah, I like I like that. I like to analyze. I like to analyze. You know what what do players do and and you know where they play their shots and what they do with their their good shots and their bad shots and and what is correct to do and not correct to do. Like and it's very hard to generalize because, for example, you have Djokovic plays in one match. You know, 50, 60 backhands down the line, and Rafa plays five, and mm. and both are both is fine. You know, everyone has a different. Um, pattern and different abilities you know maybe for Djokovic playing the backhand on the line is not a risky shot at all he can do that hundred thousand times but for me it is <clears throat> so so mm-hmm. my pattern is gonna be different than his and 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 also kind of like how to play against opponents that's also interesting you know if if maybe you play a certain way but you know like this way you're not gonna hurt your next opponent maybe you have to change something so I've always liked to kind of you know at the end it's all the same it's finding ways to win you know and that's what that's what the competitors do they just find a way right Mm -hmm. so that's the most interesting part i think from tennis is that it's just it's just you know knowing how to play that's knowing how to play not knowing how to hit the ball right knowing how to play Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. you need someone to teach you a little bit like i had my coaches teaching me you know if they play you here you play here if they play you here you play there if your opponent has this shot you return here if you and and that that's that's I like I like that aspect of it. But you can only do that with someone that hits the ball. My students hit the frame over the fence, bro. Yeah. So yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> What's with the that? point then? Yeah. No, not all uh, of them, but but some of them. Like Alex. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> like <Alex>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Man, Alex started to give me a battle at the end. After two years of chilies, at the end, man, he was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was a squats, man. Yeah. That's what happened. Legs like rich piano. <laughs> I remember, I literally remember coming to you and being like, listen, my goal, I'm, you know, screw tennis, screw everything, 20 pounds in one month. That's all I'm going to do. That's my goal. And I'd go and I literally, I had, I was working at the time. I was, I was also like training with somebody and I was like, screw all tennis training. I just want to do squats. I want to build like a jack. Yeah, literally. I want to, you know, build, you know, double the size of my legs. You got huge, yeah. You got big. You got you got big there, man. You were eating like. Well, big is a relative a term. I feel like uh, big is uh, mm. <laughs> big relative to who? Uh, relative to what I was? Maybe. <laughs> Actually, big? Probably not. So. No, this guy. This guy growing up in the in the weight room at school. This guy was like a monster. I mean, like he like 
Yeah, like I remember his freshman year too. Like he would show up to practice and be like, ah, oh, like whatever. Like and as soon as it was like, as soon as we were going to the weight room, he's like, guys, guys, let's go. We're gonna, we're, it's time to, it's time to get Jack. Let's, let's it's time to go get dude, this the, guy. The fun squats. This guy was going. You were going. You were going to like conferences with like Olympic like powerlifters or whatever. No, no, I, I no, but that was that was no, that was recently. Yeah. I went to like a seminar with. Yeah, uh, with this guy's the, going to seminars. Right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. This guy's on a different level. Yeah, and then I, I went to a seminar and then haven't worked out a day since. So <laughs> so literally I went to that seminar end of June and then I have yet to go to a gym or do anything. So so you know, maybe I'm not quite not quite there. Maybe less reading. Yeah. <laughs> maybe less reading and more uh gotta yeah, that, that's exactly it. Um no. Good stuff, man. Are you guys coming to Europe or what? I'm I'm going soon. I want to go soon. So I'm hopefully we can, we can, we can, uh, let's all meet, slap a few balls and, uh, let's hit the clubs. How much tennis are you playing guys? I mostly like coach a little bit on the weekends, but I don't, I haven't like, I haven't really like played, played my, uh, I'm, I'm playing quite a bit at the moment because my dad and I are playing, uh, father son nationals. Ah, nice. So we got father wow. na- next week. We're going to California. We're going to have a couple of days. It's father son nationals. We're going to, you know, slap, slap a couple, uh, slap a couple <laughs> pairs up and then, you know, take the. Take the golden ball is and then head home. Yeah, doubles. doubles yeah, right? okay. yeah. I guess the goal is just to, to hit someone straight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm aiming for the chest. That's yeah. it. Not the fence this time. Yeah. Just yeah. the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean you know that's the <laughs> highlight tennis, as we say. Yeah, that's it. There we just go. want the highlight reel. Guillermo, man, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. I mean, this this has been this has been has been awesome. Such a thank you, man. Wait, what's it? Thanks for having but, me. But uh, we gotta, yeah, we gotta, we got what we gotta do is we gotta plan. Um, we gotta get. I wanna get some. I wanna like. I wanna get. I can't wait to get some. Like, there are a couple of videos you sent me. I I really wanna get those. Out. Do you remember the video you sent me of you coaching? I wanna get like some content from from Singapore. And I wanna start showing the world, man. Alaso Academy. Let's. I can show you. I can pass you a video of. Uh, but I don't wanna embarrass Rob. Like he was coaching in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> please, please send that. Please. Like, like sitting down. And, Please. The guy is sitting down feeding balls. I beg you. I beg you, please. And being like, yeah, good. Good, good shot. Feeding balls. But again, I mean, if I, what if like, I don't want to like, you know, what if I post that and then like, if we post that and then he, I don't know. I don't have any contact with him, but I don't know if it's like. Well, we'll, we'll talk. Like, we'll, we'll talk. Maybe, maybe we don't. Maybe we do. But you know, I had the, I had the, we used to do like, we used to do like, I used to do like drills. I remember with Caesar his friend, okay. I used to do like this drill as a joke. It was not a, it was a joke drill. Like 100, the guy had a 200 backhand <laughs> and the drill was like 100 backhand on the run down the line. <laughs> then you come in volley, volley between the legs. Then you come forward. You try to do backhand volley that comes down to your side of the court and then tweener. <laughs> Bro, you're just oh, practicing, oh you're practicing the important shots. Come on, man. So we used to do, we used to do that as a drill for like 15 minutes. Then we had a tweener drill. We put seven students on the other side of the court, two lines of three, one or two lines of three, and yeah, no, six, six guys. Two lines of three, twinner drill. Everyone like lifting their legs, doing like nonsense. Like, it was like ridiculous. Yeah, with like 16 water breaks in the middle, and then all right, see you next week. See you later. <laughs> see you later. No, but we, we got to do this again, man. We're going to, we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll maybe like, I'm we'll trying, you know, resurface. Oh, yeah, a, for sure. A, you know, in some time, we get, 
I'm sure because I'm sure you'll have we'll have we we gotta we just scratch the surface with stories, man. You know, so we gotta we gotta delve into. I want to go out with you. That's what I want to do. I want to <laughs> go out. I want I want to hear like the up. stories that didn't <laughs> make it on the podcast. Yeah, I want to hear those stories. Exactly. Exactly. But but uh, but no, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, guys. Listen. Like, comment, subscribe, subscribe to the channel. It fires us up and we can get more guests like, like, uh, like Guillermo to come on. Like this legend. So Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's fire it up, but, uh, stay healthy, stay happy. And as always just slap. Take care.